But uh, we're there in Luke chapter number three, Luke chapter number three. And of course, this uh, morning we are continuing through our series on journey with Jesus, and we're walking through the gospel <coughs> according to Luke. And today we come to a very well-known passage of scripture. We only read two verses. Uh, this morning, which is unusual for us. We usually read the entire chapter. We've not been doing that um, through this series since we've been spending so much time in each one of these chapters. Uh, you may have gotten excited because we read only two verses, but don't worry. We're going to look at a lot more verses than just two. Uh, so you, some of you thought you were in an old IFB church there for a minute, um, but we're, we're going to look at a lot of scripture. So uh, we're looking at the baptism of Christ this morning. If you're there in Luke chapter number three, I'd like you to look down at verses 21, 22. We just read them. The Bible says this. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, thou art my beloved son in thee. I am well pleased. And I'm going to preach on the subject of the baptism of Christ. But what I'm, I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to preach an, a, a comprehensive sermon on the subject of baptism. And uh, the reason for that is, is a couple. First of all, it's been a long time since I've preached uh, on the subject of baptism. Uh, I've mentioned baptism here and there, but to preach a full-length sermon on it has been a while. And it's good for us to be uh, reminded about what we believe and why we believe it. And since I haven't preached on baptism in a long time, I'm sure that there are some people even in our church that maybe don't understand baptism, have not been scripturally baptized themselves. Maybe they're not even sure what that really means. And so I want to help them understand that this morning, clarify that for them. But also, I don't want some of you that maybe you're a little more mature in the faith, you say, oh, someone on baptism, I don't, I don't need that. Uh, first of all, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And anytime that the Word of God is open, you can learn from it. But if you're, especially if you're a soul winner here this morning, you know, I, I, I want to ex, uh, express to you that one of your goals should be to not only get people saved, but then get those converts baptized. And it would be uh, beneficial for you to learn how to, you say, I already know everything about baptism. Okay, but do you know how to explain it? Uh, do you have an outline to be able to explain to people and answer their questions? So it's a benefit for all of us. Maybe you're a parent here uh, this morning and you've got some younger kids that are getting saved and they need to be baptized uh, and you're not sure how to explain it to them. Well, this, this is a sermon that would be beneficial for all of us. So we're going to talk this morning on the subject of baptism. I want to give you several thoughts in regards to baptism. And if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to write some things down on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to take down some notes. I want to begin by talking to you about the priority of baptism the priority of baptism. It's interesting to me that we see the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, baptism or getting baptized here. And of course, if you've been with us through the Gospel of Luke, as we spent time in chapter 1, chapter 2, and some of chapter 3 already, uh, we've learned about the, uh, the events that took place leading up to the birth of Christ, the birth of Christ, the presentation of Christ. Uh, we, we've been looking at all these different things. We saw Jesus as his childhood, as a 12-year-old boy. We've uh, seen the ministry of John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who was sent before Christ to prepare the way for Christ and prepare people uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're getting ready to begin officially the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is getting ready to begin his earthly ministry, uh, what he does first is he gets baptized. And his baptism really is the kickoff to the earthly, uh, the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's getting ready to begin his ministry. So he begins where everyone should begin with 
baptism. Now, let me just, by way of introduction or just by the way of this first point, give you some thoughts in regards to why Jesus would get baptized to begin with. Why would Jesus even get baptized? And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one, um, if you look down at verse 21, again, the Bible says, now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. The first reason that Jesus would get baptized himself is uh, to be an example for all of us. Jesus got baptized as an example for us to follow. All throughout the Bible, we are told that we are to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are to walk in his footsteps. So if Jesus wants all of us to be baptized, then he, of course, set the example by being baptized himself. Notice it says, now when all the people were baptized, Jesus didn't think, oh, that's just for them, and I'm not going to do that. It says, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. He set the example of being baptized. But not only was Jesus baptized to set an example, Jesus was also baptized as a sign of who he was. And there was a miraculous event that took place at his baptism. We're going to talk about it a little bit here at the beginning, and we'll talk about it more towards the end of the sermon. But if you look at verse 21 again, it says, now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, notice, also being baptized and praying, the Bible says, the heaven was open. Now, we should all be baptized, and we should all follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ being baptized, but this is probably not going to happen at your baptism, okay? When the Bible says here, the heaven was opened, notice, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like as a dove. Here, the Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like as a dove. Now, most people assume that uh, when the Holy Ghost ascended, he ascended in the shape of a dove. And if that's your belief, you know, I'm, I'm not against that. But I, I, I want you to notice that I, I don't necessarily believe the Bible is telling us here that he came in the shape of a dove, but that he, as he descended from heaven, he descended like a dove would descend. The Bible does tell us that the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape. And of course, this teaches us about the Trinity, because we believe that there is one God that exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here we see that the Holy Ghost himself was in a bodily shape. He was in a bodily form. It is the person of the Holy Spirit who descended like a dove upon him. And then notice, and a voice came from heaven. Uh, so we have Jesus at his baptism, of course, getting baptized. The Holy Ghost descending like a dove. And then we have God the Father, who's invisible, but yet his voice is heard from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. So Jesus was not only baptized as an example for us that we should do likewise, but he was also baptized as a sign of who he was. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and a voice was heard from heaven that said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the book of Luke, and that's, our, of course, our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, just real quickly to the book of John, John chapter number 1. Jesus was also baptized to show a sign of who he was. And this is not the only time that this happened. This, began, this happened at the baptism of Christ at the beginning of his ministry. There was a voice heard from, from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this happened again a second time towards the end of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was transfigured and Moses and Elijah showed up on the mount with him while Peter, James, and John were there, and there was a voice heard from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was God's way of showing and showing 
showing a sign uh, in regards to who Jesus was at the beginning of his ministry. But I want you to notice, it was not only a sign for us as we read, it was a sign for those there, and specifically a sign for John the Baptist. Because remember, John the Baptist, if you remember from the last time we were in the book of Luke, his job was to be a forerunner for the Lord Jesus Christ. His job was to prepare the way and to announce the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, in verse 32, the Bible says this, John 1, 32, and John, this is John the Baptist, bear record saying, now notice what he says, I saw the Spirit, this is what John said, this is John's testimony, he said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, upon Jesus. Look at verse 33. And I knew him not, but he, the he there is referring to God, that sent me, remember this is John speaking, to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So here we are told, John the Baptist, though he was physically related to the Lord Jesus Christ, remember that Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, the Bible tells us that John himself, he said, I knew him not. He said, I did not know. He said, I was sent as a forerunner to prepare the way for the Messiah, but I did not know who it was that the Messiah was. But he, referring to God, this is John's testimony, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. So a couple of thoughts here in regards to baptism. First, we get uh, from the testimony of John an origin of baptism. Have you ever wondered you know, where did baptism come from? Because in the Old Testament, we don't have the practice of baptism. We have 400 years of silence, and then the New Testament begins with John the Baptist, and all of a sudden, this man named John, who's later known as John the Baptist, why is he known as that? Because he shows up on the scene, and he begins baptizing people. You know, did he just come up with this on his own? Where did this come from? People like to make up things about how, you know, ancient cults would baptize, and this was not something new in the ancient world. But the Bible tells us here where it is that John got the the idea for baptism, John said, he that sent me to baptize with water. He said, God told me to baptize people with water. God told me to baptize them, and God also said, he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, he says, John is telling uh, the people that when God told me to baptize people with water, God also told me that when you baptize people, there's going to be one baptism where you're going to see upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. So it was a sign for John as well. So I would imagine that John, he began to baptize, and as he's baptizing people, you know, every time he's baptizing people, he's, he's probably looking up. No, that's not him. Looking up, that's not him. Looking up, that's not him. And when Jesus got baptized, the Bible says as he baptized him, the heavens were open and the Spirit, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice was heard from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And John said, that's how I knew who the Messiah was because the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. So we see that the baptism of Jesus was not only as an example for us, but it was also as a sign of who Jesus was. And the point is this. Go to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter number 16. You're there in John. Just flip one book over to Acts chapter 16. 
The first point that I want to make is this, that what we see is the priority of baptism. Baptism is important. It's, an ordina- it's, it's something that was ordained. It, it is an ordinance because it was ordained by God himself. God told John to begin this uh, 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 ordination of baptism, this ordinance of baptism. He told them that the Messiah would be baptized and the Spirit would descend upon him. This was something, and Jesus made a priority of it when he began his earthly public ministry. He began by setting the example of getting baptized himself. So we see that Jesus made a priority of baptism. And when he began his ministry, he began with baptism. And I'm here to tell you that every believer should make a priority in regards to baptism. And in the same way that Jesus, when he was ready to begin his earthly ministry, Every believer, when they are ready to begin their walk with God, they should also get baptized. I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. Baptism is not part of salvation. We're going to talk about that later in the sermon. You can be saved and not be baptized. Uh, The Bible is clear about that. And if you just need one quick example, think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross said, uh, remember me to Jesus when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And that thief never got off that cross and got baptized, but he did believe and he did confess with his mouth and he did get saved and he did go to heaven. So uh, baptism has nothing to do with salvation, but baptism has everything to do with discipleship or being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after salvation, the first step in walking with God is baptism. That's why Jesus, the first thing he did publicly in his public ministry was to get baptized. And every believer, and if you're here this morning, you say, I've never been baptized, or I don't know that I've been scripturally baptized. Hey, you need to make a priority of it because it's the first thing that God wants you to do after you get saved. Acts chapter 16, are you there? Look at verse 29. Acts chapter 16 and verse 29. We should make a priority of baptism. I want you to notice that in the Bible, people always got baptized as soon as possible. Acts chapter 16 and verse 29, the Bible says this, Then he, and this is referring to the Philippian jailer, we're at the story here where Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi, and they'd been singing all night, and there was an earthquake, and all the prison doors were, were open, uh, and, and the jailer assumes that everybody escaped, but they have not. Acts 16, 29, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling, because he realizes that they did not, uh, they did not escape Paul said, do, thy, do the, thyself no harm. And notice what the Philippian jailer, the Bible says, he came in trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, get baptized. Is that what they said? No. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. They said, he asked the question, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they said, hey, Uh, He has a question, what must I do to be saved? And they said, hey, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And they said, by the way, not just you, your whole house can be saved. Your whole family can be saved. Notice verse 32, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them, notice, notice the wording here, the same hour. Now remember, this was at midnight. They sang in the prison at midnight. At midnight is when the earthquake happened. And here the Bible tells us that he took them the same hour of the night and watched their stripes and was baptized, he and all his 
straightway. You see the word straightway there? That word means immediately. You say, what does the Bible teach us about baptism? It teaches this, that it should come after salvation. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it should happen immediately, as soon as possible. It's the first step in your walk with God. It's a priority. Because today people kind of act like, I don't need to get baptized. Baptism is not a big deal. Baptism is not an issue. I'm here to tell you there's a priority of baptism. God made a priority. He ordained it. Jesus made a priority. He, he, he did it to begin his earthly ministry. And every believer should get baptized in order to begin their earthly ministry and their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're there in Acts 16. Flip back to Acts chapter 8, if you would. So I said number one, we saw the priority of baptism. And I hope, you're, I hope you understand that. That baptism is a priority. It's something we should make a priority of. And for those of you that are soul winners, you ought to make a priority of baptism. You ought to have a desire to see your converts not only saved, but also baptized. Because you say, well, why do I, I want to see them baptized? If you think about the Great Commission, the Bible says, Go ye therefore into all the world and teach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and law I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Great Commission is this, that we are to, number one, get people saved, number two, get people baptized, and then number three, we are to disciple them or teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. If you think about the Great Commission, you would think, you know, I get number one, get them saved, and I get number three, disciple them or help them grow. But why does he throw baptism in there like it's that importance of a thing? But here's what you need to understand. When you understand that baptism is the first step of discipleship, you understand that baptism is the step that leads you from salvation into being a follower, a public follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as soul winners, we should have a desire to get our converts to get baptized so that they can begin their walk with God. It's called the priority of baptism. It's a priority. But I want you to notice, not only do I want you to understand the priority of baptism, but let me talk with you this morning also about the process of baptism. What, what is, how is baptism supposed to work? You're there in Acts chapter 8. I'd like you to look down at verse number 26. In Acts 8.26, we have the story of Philip when he preaches the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. Notice there in verse 26, the Bible says this, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. Verse 27, And he, Philip, arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So here we have this man known as the Ethiopian eunuch. He's a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He's a politician. He works for this queen. He's there in Jerusalem. He's riding a chariot, and he's there for religious purposes. He came to Jerusalem for to worship. Look at verse 28. Was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. So here we have this Ethiopian eunuch. He's not saved, but he's interested. He's reading the Bible, but he doesn't understand it because he's not saved. In verse 29, the Bible says, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. 
And in verses 32, 33, 34, we're told about the passage that he was reading, which is a passage uh, out of Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. We'll skip that for sake of time. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, notice, and preached unto him Jesus. So here we have Philip, the soul winner. We have Ethiopian eunuch, the sinner. And we have the word of God, the scriptures. We've got, uh, in verse 35, he preached unto him Jesus, the soul winning. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized. The eunuch, as he's going down the road, Philip is preaching the gospel to him, preaching about Jesus, and he asked this question. He said, hey, there's some water. What doth hinder me? The word hinder means what's delaying me or what's blocking me, what's stopping me to be baptized. He said, what is keeping me from getting baptized? In verse 37, the Bible says, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. By the way, I'm not preaching about this, but if you've got a new uh, version of the Bible, if you've got uh, something other than the King James Bible in your hand, like an NIV or an ESV, that verse is missing from your Bible. In fact, if you look at it closely, if you do have one in your hand, you'll notice that your verses go 35, 36, 38. They don't even, they don't even take the time to change the numbers on you. They just completely remove the verse. You say, why would, why would somebody uh, remove a verse that says, if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest about the Lord Jesus Christ? And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yeah, that is curious why they would remove that. According to that, if, if, that's, if that's your Bible, you know, what does hinder me to get, be, be baptized? Apparently nothing, because in verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. But that's not what the King James Bible says, what the true word of God says. The true word of God says, if thou believest, when the question is asked, what doth hinder me to be baptized, the answer is, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Why did he answer that? Here's why. Because baptism should come after salvation. Baptism is something that should happen after you. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You should be baptized after salvation. Please hear me out. Not before salvation and not for salvation. Sometimes I'll I'll, I'll use the statement, I'll say, you know, have you been scripturally baptized? And people say, well, what does that mean? Well, not all baptism is scriptural. Not all baptism is biblical. You say, "I I was baptized when I was a baby. Well, here's the thing about being baptized when you're a baby. You weren't saved. By the way, when you were a baby, you weren't condemned. When babies die, they go to heaven. Only after you came to the age of accountability where you understood sin and the fact that you were a sinner were you condemned to hell and then you needed to be saved. The Bible teaches that baptism is after salvation. You say, well, I got uh, baptized when I was a little kid, way before I got baptized. That was not a scriptural baptism. Or some people say, well, I got baptized to get saved. Well, that's not a scriptural baptism either because if you thought that you needed to get baptized in order to be saved, then uh, you were trusting in your works. Remember the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Put your trust and faith in Jesus, period, like the uh, thief on the cross. You don't have to get baptized to go to heaven, but you should get baptized once you know you're on your way to heaven. What does hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, Notice, everybody in the Bible that gets saved, they always confess with their mouth, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
And in verse 38, we read the second procedure in regards to baptism. What's the first one? That it should be after salvation. What's the second one? That it should be by immersion. Notice verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Notice that baptism is going down both into the water. What does that mean? It means that you are immersed underneath the water. It is baptism by immersion. You go down into the water. Go to the book of Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter number 3. First book in the New Testament. Should be fairly easy to find. Do me a favor. When you get to Matthew, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Matthew chapter number 3. In verse 16, see, the Bible teaches that baptism is by immersion. We, read, we just read it there in Acts 8.38. Uh, they, they went down both into the water. That's not sprinkling. That's not pouring. That's not spraying you with a spray bottle. That's going down both into the water. Notice Matthew 3 and verse 16. Here we have the baptism of Christ. And Jesus, because remember, Jesus got baptized... As an example, not only an example that we should be baptized, but an example of how to be baptized. So the question is, well, how should someone be baptized? Matthew 3.16, and Jesus said when he was baptized, or the Bible says, and Jesus, excuse me, when he was baptized, notice, went up straightway out of the water. Now, in order to come up out of the water, you first have to go down into the water. That's what we saw in Acts 8.38. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Here we see about Jesus that he not only went down into the water, but went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. So what is baptism? Baptism is going down into the water and coming up out of the water. It is baptism by immersion. See, the process of baptism, in order for it to be scriptural baptism, it has to meet these qualifications, that it was after salvation and it was by immersion. You went down into the water. You came up out of the water. Now, sometimes I talk to people, and they'll say, well, I was baptized, but when I was baptized, they poured water on me. When I was baptized, they sprinkled water on me. And I'll say, well, that's not scriptural baptism, because you have to immerse somebody down into the water. And they'll say, well, yeah, but I mean, when I, when I got baptized, or when I baptized my kids, you know, they were, they were eight weeks old. I mean, you can't put an eight-week-old underwater. And I would say, yeah. Now we have a different question. Should you even be baptizing a child like that, a baby? Because baptism is after salvation, which means they have to be old enough to be able to understand what the gospel is and confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. And then they should be baptized by immersion. They go down into the water. They come up out of the water. So sprinkling or pouring is not a biblical method of baptism. The Bible teaches that you have to have uh, uh, them go down into the water. You're there, there in Matthew. Go to John chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3. John 3, look at verse 23. John 3, 23. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem. Remember John? He's the one that God used to institute baptism. And here the Bible tells us that John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem. Notice, why was he baptizing there? It's telling us where he was baptizing. In Anon near Salem. Why? Here's why. Because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Why was he baptizing when there was, where there was much water? Here's why. Because he was dunking them under the water. 
You know, if he could have just sprinkled them or poured water on them, uh, then, then he wouldn't need to baptize them somewhere where there's much water. He could have baptized them anywhere. Just bring a bottle of water. You're good to go. But the Bible tells us that he chose a place where there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Go to Romans chapter 6, if you would. Romans chapter 6. You're there in John. You have the book of Acts, then Romans. John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 6. So we saw the priority of baptism. Jesus was getting ready to begin his earthly ministry. So he got baptized. In the same way, we as believers, when we get ready to begin our earthly ministry, our walk with God, we should get baptized. Then we saw the process of baptism. It is after salvation by immersion. And look, I realize that getting up and preaching a full sermon on baptism is not the most exciting thing, and it's not like you're preaching about, you know, end times prophecy or stuff that people really get excited about. But let me tell you something. Baptism is, is one of, and I, I want to say is the, because salvation is the most important doctrine, but baptism is definitely one of the most important uh, 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 doctrines of our faith. And today, there might not be a lot of controversy when it comes to baptism, uh, other than preaching, you know, against baby sprinklers. But there was a time when people literally, you, you think, ah, baptism's not that big of a deal. Do you realize that our forefathers, our uh, Christian forefathers, literally died because of the belief of baptism? Man, have you ever something, you're in a Baptist church this morning, it's called Verity Baptist Church. Why do you think, why are we called Baptists? Why was John called John the Baptist? What, what's the big deal about baptism, and, uh, about being a, a Baptist? And, 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 and I'll say this, and I won't spend a lot of time on it. If you're interested in this subject, I'd encourage you to watch our documentary, Being Baptist. But, you know, we are named Baptist because our Christian forefathers, during a time of history known as the Dark Ages, when the Roman Catholic Church ruled the world, not just religiously but politically, the Pope was the one in charge of putting kings on thrones and taking kings off of thrones. Our Christian forefathers taught that the Bible teaches that biblical baptism comes after salvation and by immersion. So during a time when the Roman Catholic Church ruled the world, and the Roman Catholic Church are the proponents of, not, not the only proponents, but the major proponents of infant baptism and spring, baptism by sprinkling, Christian men and women who got a hold of the Word of God and understood what the Bible said, they took stands and said, no, baptism comes after salvation. It is by immersion. So these Bible-believing Christians who were also soul winners, who went out into their communities and got people saved, primarily out of the Roman Catholic Church, began to teach their converts that they needed to be baptized or re-baptized because their infant baptism or their uh, sprinkling was not a scriptural baptism. And they began to re-baptize people. So the Catholics, who were their enemies at the time, began to mockingly refer to them as Anabaptists. The word Anna means re. They would mock them, say, those are those re-baptizers. They re-baptize people. They're Anabaptists. And by the way, many Anabaptists were burned at the stake and gave up their lives because of baptism. And the belief in baptism. And the doctrine in baptism. They were known as Anabaptists. Eventually, the term Anna was removed, and they were simply known as Baptists. I'm a Baptist this morning. That term is important to me. It doesn't only mean that we understand true baptism, but what it really means is that we understand true salvation. That salvation is not through the Roman Catholic Church. 
that it is not something that any church could give you or take away from you, that it is simply a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you should be baptized after salvation. So we talked about the priority of baptism. We talked about the process of baptism. Let's talk about the purpose of baptism. What's the purpose? Why do people die? And by the way, it's not just our Christian forefathers in the, in the ancient world that died. Even modern Christians today, uh, today there are many Christians who convert and places, and, and places ran by Islam who, when they obey and follow the Lord Jesus Christ in believer's baptism, often are ostracized and removed from their families and in many places are killed. Throughout history, we've known that there have been missionaries that have gone to places like India where they would have converts and they would be baptized in their, uh, in, in, in their obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and would often be persecuted and killed as a result. I'm here to tell you that baptism should be a priority. Amen. And when people through history have died to be baptized... I don't understand the excuse where we live in the United States of America, we have every freedom to do anything that we'd like, and we refuse to be baptized. People refuse to be baptized. It should be an importance. You say, well, what's so important about it? Well, here's, here's the importance of it. Let's talk about the purpose of baptism. There's two purposes of baptism. The first is to identify yourself with Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, notice what the Bible says. Know ye not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. See, the purpose of baptism is to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Baptism identifies us with the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, why is it that these uh, Christians in the ancient world and Christians and even in the modern uh, uh, history uh, have been willing to be baptized and, and even though it meant that they might be ostracized or blackballed or persecuted or jailed or, 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 or even killed. Why would they do it? Here's why. Because baptism is a public identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. It identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ. It identifies you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of baptism is to be identified with Jesus Christ. We are buried with him uh, uh, by baptism into death. The Bible says that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. See, the purpose of baptism, you say, but, but I can be baptized and so go to heaven. Absolutely. Baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But baptism has everything to do with being identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Identify yourself as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. I often use this illustration. Many of you have heard me use this illustration before. But I'll tell people, baptism is like a wedding ring. When my wife and I got married, we got married on June 5th. I don't know, 18 years ago. This, this June will be 18 years that we've been married. Can you believe that? I don't look that old, right? <laughs> she definitely doesn't look that old. I, I look, I'm starting to look older. 18 years ago, my wife and I got married, and on the day that we got married, some of you were there. Some of you were there. <laughs> and most of you, the vast majority of you, were not there. And on that day when we got married, I gave her a ring, and she gave me a ring. I put a ring on her finger, and she put a ring on my finger. And the purpose of our 
wedding ring is not to uh, get us married. The wedding ring does not make us be a married couple. It's not like, you know, now I'm married, now I'm not. Now I'm married, now I'm not. doesn't work that way, right? I cannot have a wedding ring and still be married. I can, I can, I can be married if I, I signed the contract, I made the vows, the, you know, we went through the process, and, and we're, we're a married couple. The wedding ring doesn't make us married. The wedding ring is there to do what? To show that we are married. To identify us as married. Now, if, 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 if I lose my wedding ring or forget my wedding ring, you know, when I go to the store, it's not that big of a deal because I'm just this, you know, ugly guy. But when my wife goes out to the store, she better have that ring on her finger. Because that's how people identify that she's married, right? She has that ring. What is the ring there for? It's not to remind her that she's married. It's not to remind me that I'm married. It's not like I wake up in the morning and I go, well, I'm married. I know I'm married. This doesn't make me married. What's the purpose of the wedding ring? To show other people that I'm married. You say, what's baptism? Is it to get you saved? No. Does it make you saved? No. Then why would I get baptized? To show other people you're saved. Amen. To publicly identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, what if I got married to my wife? What if we got married and, and, and after the wedding, you know, she said to me, you know, I love you. I'm glad we're married. But I just don't want to wear this wedding ring. Is that okay? You know, wouldn't, wouldn't you think I'd be offended by that? Well, are you ashamed of me? Are you embarrassed to be identified as my wife? When Christians say, oh, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm saved. I just don't want to get baptized. You've got to ask the question, well, are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you embarrassed to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because through history, Christians have given their lives to identify with Jesus. They've been persecuted and they've suffered much loss to identify themselves with the one they love the most, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what is the purpose of baptism? It is to identify you with Christ. It is to publicly identify you as a Christian. I want you to notice, not only is it to identify you with Christ, but it's also to identify you with other believers. You're there in, in, in Romans. Flip back to the book of Acts, if you would. You have Romans right before that. You have the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 2. See, baptism does not only identify you with Christ, it identifies you with other believers as well. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, the Bible says this, Then they that gladly received His word, this is talking about people that got saved, they received the word, Jesus is the word, they got saved, they heard the gospel, then they that gladly received the word were baptized. So we have people that got saved, they received the word, They got baptized, notice, and the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. You say, I'd like to be a member of a local New Testament church. Well, people have a lot of misunderstandings of what a local New Testament church is and biblically what a local New Testament church is. And I think today people just think a church is like a club or some social group. And there is social aspects to being a member of the church. But let me tell you something. As a church, what we are is we are a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth. And in order to be part of a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, how do I do that? Put the wedding ring on. 
Get baptized. Identify yourself with Christ and with Christ's people. They that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. You say, how do you become a member of, uh, of, of, a, of a biblical uh, church? Well, I'll tell you how we do it at Very Baptist Church. You have to get saved and be baptized, scripturally baptized. Now, we accept baptisms from other churches of like faith and practice, of course. If you, it's not like we have to re-baptize you here, but you, you needed to have been scripturally baptized in order to be a member of a local New Testament church, a scriptural church. They that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto who? Added unto the church. Because baptism not only identifies you with the Christ, it identifies you with the church uh, and with the group of believers, the ministry in which you are getting baptized. Go, go back to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 3. Let me, let me say this, and I, I want to explain this to you because I believe it's important, but I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying because some people take, take this too, a little too far. It is important not only how you get baptized by immersion, not only when you get baptized after salvation, but where or by whom you get baptized. Because remember, the purpose of baptism is to identify you with Christ and to identify you with other believers, identify you with the Lord Jesus Christ and with other believers. So therefore, it matters where you got baptized or who performed the baptism. I want you to understand something, though. What I mean by that is the ministry in which you were baptized in. Now, let me just prove that to you. Matthew 3 and verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying... I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? So here, Jesus comes to John and says, I want you to baptize me. And John's very humble man says, If anybody, you should be baptizing me. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering and said unto him, Notice, suffer. The word suffer means allow. He says, Allow it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. You see the word righteousness there? The first part of the word righteousness is right. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest out to me. And Jesus said, hey, suffer or allow me to be baptized by you, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Here's what Jesus is saying. If we're going to do this right, John, I need you to do it. Then he suffered him. Now, why is Jesus making such a big deal about who baptizes him? Because during the time of Jesus, John was not the only religious leader that was around. There was many religious leaders that could have baptized Jesus. He could have gone to the Pharisees. He could have gone to the Sadducees. He could have gone to the priests. He could have gone to the Levites. He could have gone to the scribes. He could have gone to the lawyers. He could have gone anywhere. And, 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 you know, I've explained this to people in the past, and they've said to me, well, John was the one that was baptizing. Yeah, but John, John just started that because God told him, by human perspective, John just made that up. Couldn't he have gone to the Pharisees and said, hey, you, you, you start baptizing. He could have been baptized by anybody. He needed to be baptized by John. Why? Because Jesus, his baptism would identify him not only as the Son of God, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, it would also identify him with the one who was baptizing him, John. He couldn't be baptized with the Sadducees because he didn't want to identify with them. 
He couldn't be baptized by the Pharisees because he didn't want to be identified with them. He wanted, he said, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So it matters what ministry you got baptized in. Go to, go, go to John chapter 4. You're there in Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Sometimes people say to me, oh, I got baptized, you know, after I believed and underwater by immersion, you know, I'm good to go. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, well, we, we don't feel like we have to baptize everybody. You know, obviously, if you're a new convert, then you need to be baptized. We are happy to baptize you, but we accept baptisms from life, faith, and practice. You know, so what? Where did you get baptized? And it's like some tongue-speaking charismatic church. It's like, well, here's the thing. When you got baptized at some tongue-speaking charismatic church, you identified with a tongue-speaking charismatic church. This church is not a tongue-speaking charismatic church. We're Bible-believing Baptists. Now, I don't think that every, you know, I don't necessarily think that everyone that gets baptized has to get baptized at a Baptist church, but they better be right on salvation. They better have like faith and practice. So you say, I got baptized at a tongue-speaking Pentecostal church. Well, do you want to identify yourself as a charismatic, tongue-speaking, holy roller? No. Well, then you should probably be re-baptized because it was a big deal for Jesus where he got baptized. I got baptized at a Mormon church. I got baptized at a Jehovah's Witness church. I got baptized at a Seventh-day Adventist church. Okay, well, do you want to identify as a Seventh-day Adventist, as a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness? It matters where you get baptized. Now, I want to make that point clearly, but then let me just say this because I want to make this as clearly. It doesn't matter who individually physically baptized you. What matters is the ministry with which you identified with. Do you understand that? So, I don't, you say, I, don't, I, I got baptized at a charismatic, Pentecostal, tongue-speaking church, but the guy that baptized me, I know he was saved. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who physically baptized you, or let me reverse that. I got baptized at an independent, fundamental, Baptist, King James-only church, but the guy that baptized me, you know, ended up being a, a, a oneness heretic. Or ended up being some heretic, or ended up being some enemy, or ended up being some Judas. Let me explain something to you. It doesn't matter who physically baptizes you. You say, prove that. John 4, look at verse 1. When therefore the Lord Jesus knew how the Pharisees heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. We see the priority of baptism. Jesus made and baptized. He made more converts and he baptized more converts, more disciples than John. Now, what does John 4, 1 say? That the Pharisees heard, what did they hear? That Jesus, what does the Bible tell us? That Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. So who made and baptized more disciples than John, according to the Bible? Jesus did. But then the Bible tells us, in parentheses, verse 2, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. So notice, it is the 12 disciples that were baptizing, but it was under the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So who baptized? They were baptized under whose ministry? The Lord Jesus. But did Jesus actually physically baptize anybody? The Bible tells us, though Jesus himself baptized not. He didn't baptize anybody. His disciples baptized. You say, well, I want to be baptized at, at, uh, at Verity Baptist Church. Okay, well, ba- Pastor Jimenez could baptize you. But you know what? If, if Pastor Jimenez doesn't baptize you and uh, Brother Oliver, our deacon, baptizes you or Brother Stucky, our evangelist, baptizes you, that's still a baptism under the ministry of Verity Baptist Church. Amen. 
So when Brother Oliver ends up, you know, being found out as a heretic, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm kidding, of course. The point is, it doesn't matter who physically baptizes you, because Jesus made and baptized more uh, uh, converts than John, though Jesus himself baptized not. Let me give you another example. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. By the way, let me just say this as we're talking about baptism. And I'm not preaching. I mentioned this in a sermon recently, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But our stance at Verity Baptist Church, and the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but it's the pattern we see in Scripture that only ordained ministers are to perform baptisms. You don't just see just anybody just baptizing. In the Bible, it's always those that were called and ordained. It's the disciples. It's John. It's, it's Paul on his missionary journeys. 1 Corinthians 1, and look at verse 13. You, you may disagree with that, and that's fine. I'm just telling you that's what we believe, and that's what we practice here at Radio Baptist Church. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 13. Notice what Paul said. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Now, Paul's dealing with these church fractions and these church splits and these little cliques within the church. And, he, and he's trying to tell them, like, you know, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Because some are saying, I'm of Cephas, and others are saying, I'm of Paul, and others are saying, I'm of Apollos. And he says, look, was Paul crucified for you? He says, or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? He says, I thank God. Notice what Paul says. Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived, the greatest church planner who ever lived, the greatest proponent of the Great Commission, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever lived, the one that went out and took the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ to, to, to uh, preach the gospel to every creature, to have them baptized and teach them to observe all things. Here we have Paul. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Because Paul had the same mindset that Jesus did. Just because it was his ministry didn't mean that he had to do all the baptisms. There was other people that were doing baptisms that were ordained and, and called missionaries as well or evangelists or whatever. And then he's using that, bringing that as an example because these people are fighting. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. And, 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 and it might be that they were saying, you know, because Paul baptized me. No, Apollos baptized me. No, this, you know, this baptized me. This person baptized me. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Christmas and Gaius. By the way, that also proves, because Paul is the biggest proponent of the ministry of, the, of reconciliation, of taking the gospel to the fir, uh, outermost part of the earth, this also proves that baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Because here you have the greatest proponent for soul winning in the Bible saying, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Which shows you that baptism has nothing to do with salvation. The point is this, that there were those who were baptized. Who started the church at Corinth? Paul. They were baptized under his ministry. But he says, I didn't baptize. I, I, I thank God I didn't baptize. I, I thank God that I baptized none of you. He said, but Crispus and Gaius. The point that I'm making is this, that it doesn't physically matter who baptized. Because look, don't you, think, don't you think that when the 12 disciples are baptizing that Judas Iscariot probably dunked some people? Now, we know he didn't get anybody saved. But I'm sure that he probably baptized somebody. It would have been weird if all, you know... They're all baptizing, and Jesus is like, except for Judas. You know, obviously, we know that at, at, at the end, when he said, one of you shall betray me, nobody was on to Judas. Nobody thought Judas was a bad guy. 
So if the disciples were all baptizing, I'm sure Judas was baptizing. You say, well, what, does those people need to get rebaptized because Judas baptized them? No, they were baptized under the ministry of Christ, of Jesus. Though Jesus did not physically baptize anybody, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. The point is this, it matters the ministry that you identify yourself with, but it doesn't matter literally the physical hands that put you underwater. That's why at the, uh, at the Red Hot Preaching Conference every year, we, we obviously have people get baptized. Go to Romans chapter 6 if you would. Romans chapter 6. We have people get baptized at the Red Hot Preaching Conference. If you're there in 1 Corinthians, just head back one book to Romans. And people are always wanting to make requests, you know, because we have all these pastors here. I want to be baptized by Pastor Anderson. I want to be baptized by Pastor Shelley. Oh, I want to be baptized by my favorite pastor, Pastor Mejia. I want to be baptized, you know, by Pastor Jimenez. You know what I say to all of them? No! Because it doesn't matter who baptizes you. You need to just get baptized. You're not identifying with Pastor Jimenez. You're not identifying with Pastor Anderson. You're identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're identifying yourself with Christ. That's what baptism is. We make too big of a deal of human beings. Well, I'm a Pastor Jimenez. I'm a Pastor Anderson. I'm a Pastor... You're, look, just identify yourself with Christ and be a Christian. Amen. And don't be hyper-spiritual and say, well, I'm not, I'm not of anybody. I'm just of Christ. God gave you spiritual leadership. God gave you human leadership. But don't think too highly of human leadership. So we saw, number one, the priority of baptism. We saw, number two, the process of baptism. We saw, number three, the purpose of baptism. Let me show you, fourthly, the picture of baptism. Go back to Romans chapter 6. And by the way, I love all those men and respect all those men. None of the things that I said was against any of those men. They believe the same thing. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the, the purpose of baptism, the fact that we are identified with Christ. But I want you to notice this, verse 4. That... Notice these two words. And if you're a soul winner and you want to explain baptism to people, you should maybe underline these two words. That, like, as. See those two words, like, as? What does like, as mean? In the same way, in the same manner. That like, as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Notice verse 5. For if we have been planted together, notice these three words, underline them. In the likeness. In the likeness. What does that mean? It means that it looks like. It looks similar to. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also, notice the three words, underline them, in the likeness of his resurrection. The Bible says that baptism is to be like as Christ in the likeness of his death, in the likeness of his resurrection. You say, what does that mean? Well, baptism is a picture. There is a picture within baptism. It is a picture, first of all, of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When somebody gets baptized and they enter into the baptistry and they're, they're, they're there sitting upright or standing upright and the water crosses their body, that's a picture of the cross. When the pastor then takes them and puts them underneath the water, that is a picture of the death. When they come up out of the water, that is a picture of the resurrection. When someone gets baptized, what they are saying is, I believe and I identify with the death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and rose from the dead as a, uh, as a, as a proof that he was the Son of God, and he did that as a favor for my sin. Not only that, I believe that because I'm in Christ, one day when I die, I will be resurrected. Amen. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, sprinkling and pouring messes up that picture. Where's the death, burial, and resurrection pictured when you sprinkle somebody or pour water on them? So we see the picture of baptism. It pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But let me just say this as well. Not only does it picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is a picture of salvation. It is not salvation. Now, I want to make this clear because there's many people that are just misunderstand they think, oh, i got to get baptized in order to be saved. Baptism has nothing to do with salvation. It is a picture of salvation. It is not salvation. I, I usually like to illustrate this using a picture, and I have a picture here that I have the guys get ready for me. Here's a, a picture. This is a picture that we took this year of uh, my, my kids. These are my six children, and we took a nice picture of them, and uh, we, we have a nice memory of them. And, you know, I, I could, I could sh- take this picture and say to you, this is a picture of my children. You know, we have Joshua, Joel, Elizabeth, Lydia, Ruth, Hannah, my six kids. Now I could ask you, who are these people? And some of you would say, well, those are your kids. And I would say, wrong. <laughs> these are not my kids. You know, let's try it again. This is a picture of my kids. Joshua, Joel, Elizabeth, Lydia, Ruth, Hannah. Who's that? Some of you say, Hannah. I say, no, that's not Hannah. Uh, who, who's that? Some of you say, Elizabeth. I say, no, that's not Elizabeth. I say, well, you said that was Elizabeth. Well, here's the thing. Elizabeth's over there. In fact, all my kids are over there. These are not my kids. This is just a picture of my kids. This is an image of my kids. This is the likeness or the like as of my children. This is what my children look like. But these are not my children. It's just a picture of my children. Baptism is not salvation, it is a picture of salvation. It is the likeness of salvation. It is the like as of salvation. It's not salvation. It is something that pictures or publicly portrays what happened in your heart. We have the picture of baptism. It is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of of Jesus Christ. It is a picture of salvation. It is not salvation. Just like this is a picture of my children, but it is not my children. I don't keep my children in my wallet. I don't keep my wife in my wallet, but I keep a picture of her in my wallet. The picture is not my wife. It's a picture. It's the image. It's the likeness of my wife. Let me give you the, the last one this morning. Go, go, uh, go back to Luke, Luke chapter 3. You're there in Romans. You go backwards, Acts, John, Luke, Luke chapter 3. We saw the priority of baptism. We saw the process of baptism. We saw the purpose of baptism. We saw the picture of baptism. Let me give you the last one. I'd like you to notice the persons of baptism. At the baptism of Christ, all three members, remember we talked about this at the beginning, all three members of the Trinity were present at Jesus' baptism. They were all represented. Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus... Who's Jesus? The Son of God, the Word of God, the second member of the Godhead, 
the second person of the Godhead, that Jesus also being baptized. So who did we have at Jesus' baptism? Well, first of all, we had Jesus there, the second member of the Godhead. And praying, the heaven was open, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like as a dove. So the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like as a dove upon Jesus. So who did we also have at the baptism of Christ? We had the third member of the Godhead, the person of the Holy Spirit in bodily shape was there. And then a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. We have the first member of the Godhead, God the Father, is present and represented at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 16. We see the same thing. Matthew chapter 3, 16. And Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he, uh, Jesus, saw the Spirit of God uh, descending like a dove and lighting upon him. That's the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's the first member of the Godhead, uh, God the Father. At the baptism of Jesus Christ, all three members of the Godhead, the Trinity, were all present and represented at the baptism of Christ. By the way, that proves that oneness modalism is not true. The belief that there's only one God that plays three different roles but is not three different persons. Well, at the baptism of Jesus, all three members were there. They were all present. In the same way that all three members of the Trinity were present at Jesus' baptism, go to Matthew 28, look at verse 19. All three members of the Trinity should be represented in every baptism. Matthew 28, verse 19. Here we have the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. Notice, when Jesus gave the, uh, uh, the, the Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, number one, baptizing them, number two, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things, uh, uh, number three. Teaching them, uh, teach all nations, referring to soul winning, getting them saved, baptizing them, referring to baptism, teaching them to observe all things, referring to discipleship. But when he tells us to baptize them, he says, baptizing them in the name of. Now that phrase, in the name of, has to do with in the authority or under the commissioning of. Remember, Paul said, were ye baptized in Paul's name? He said, you weren't baptized in my name under my authority. You're not identifying yourself with Paul, he says. Here we're told that you are to be baptized in the name of, notice, the Father, the first member of the Godhead, and of the Son, the second member of the Godhead, and of the Holy Ghost, the third member of the Godhead. So Jesus' baptism was an example for all baptisms. What happened at the baptism of Jesus? Supernaturally, the three members of the Godhead were all present. The Holy Spirit uh, descended like a dove in bodily form. The heavens were open, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But in the same way, when we baptize every believer... All three members of the Godhead should be represented. So when we baptize people at Verity Baptist Church or any Bible-believing church, we, 
uh, ask people, you know, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Why do we ask that question? Because baptism should come after salvation. Once they affirm, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then we say, buried in the likeness of His death, you know, we'll say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in newness of life. Why do we say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost? Because that's what Jesus said to do. You say, why are you bringing that up? Because I want you to know that we reject modalism and oneness and we believe, uh, reject this Jesus-only baptism. Amen. Where people say, like, oh, you, we only baptize in the name of Jesus. You know, we only baptize in the name of Jesus. You know, it, it's funny. Remember when we talked about studying the Scripture? you got stories and you got statements. The stories are telling us what people did and the statements are just these clear statements from God. It's funny to me that we have a clear statement from the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you have a, uh, if you have a Bible that has red letters, uh, Matthew 28, 19 is in red letters because these words physically came out of the mouth of Jesus and Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know, oh, well, yeah, that was, that was uh, not for us. Really? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you? And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen? Oh, no, that was, that was back then. But now in the New Testament, no, it's even unto the end of the world. Amen. We are baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. All three members of the Trinity should be represented in baptism. And all three members of the Trinity uh, were present at Jesus' baptism. And by the way, if you got baptized in some Jesus-only, you know, baptism where they said, you know, only in the name of Jesus, I would get rebaptized. Amen. You say, uh, because it wasn't done right? Well, first of all, you should have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But secondly, anybody that believes that is not saved. Right. I'm just here to tell you. They reject the Godhead. They reject the Trinity. They reject salvation. Go to Acts chapter 10 and verse 48. Acts 10, 48. We talked about the priority of baptism, the process of baptism, the purpose of baptism, the picture of baptism, person's baptism. It's been years since I preached a comprehensive sermon on baptism, so I'm glad we're covering this. Because it's good for us to know. You go to a Baptist church, I mean, good night. You go to a Baptist church. If there's anything you should know, it should be baptism. What do we believe about baptism? Let me end with a few just concluding statements. First of all, baptism is a command not an option. The Bible commands you to be baptized. You say, why does God command you to be baptized? Because God commands you to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of His. And the first step in discipleship is baptism. Acts 10, 48, and He commanded them. Notice the words. And He commanded them to be baptized. That's not an option. It's not like, hey, if you'd like to, He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then prayed him to tarry certain days. Go back to Luke chapter 3. Luke verse 21. Not only is baptism a command, not an option, baptism is pleasing to God. He ordered you, he commands you to do it, and it's pleasing to the Lord when you are baptized. Notice verse 22. And the Holy Ghost ascended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, Notice what, notice what God the Father says to his son when he got baptized. In thee, I am well pleased. It was pleasing to God that Jesus was baptized, and it's pleasing to God when you get baptized. When you and I, as the sons of God, are baptized, God in heaven is saying of you, I am well pleased. 
I am pleased in your baptism. Let me just give you one disclaimer or one warning as, I, as we finish this morning. I hope I've answered all your questions for baptism. If I haven't, I would encourage you to speak to me, and I'd, I'd be happy to talk to you. And I know I've gone a little longer than I usually do, but let me, just, let me just say this, and we'll finish up. Years ago, when I started baptizing people, when we started Verity Baptist Church, we, we would baptize. We've always thought baptism was a priority. We used to have uh, a baptistry, uh, a tank like this one, not nice like this one. It didn't have the wood and all that. Later, my dad built wood and all that, but when we first, we just had uh, the fiberglass thing on, on a, on a, uh, on a two-by-four frame that my dad helped me build, and we had it in our garage because we started church in our house, and we would go and baptize people in the garage. Before that, we had several uh, inflatable tubs that we would use to baptize people, and the problem with the inflatable tubs is that they were like a one-use only because they would get holes in them, and I'd be patching them up, and they'd just continue to get holes, and we did that a few times, and we got... We've always prioritized baptism. But there was a time in, in my ministry when I actually was very afraid to baptize people. In fact, I, I had like baptism PTSD. And, and the reason for it is because there was a span of our ministry, and, and, and it still happens now to an extent, not as much, where every time I baptized people, they would never come back. Like, I'd baptize them, they'd never come back to church. And it wasn't like they showed up, they'd never been there, they got baptized and never came back. That's pretty normal. I'm talking about people who were coming to our church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning, for weeks or months. I mean, they were just like faithful, soul winning members of the church. And then they finally, you know, I preached on baptism, or they decided to get baptized, and I'd baptize them, and then they'd never come back. And that literally happened like six or seven times in a row. And I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? Like, you know, maybe there's something to this, re, you know, regenerational baptism, you know, where the, they, they teach that the water takes away your, your, your sins. I'm like, are we not swapping? Are we, are we not changing the water? Do I need to add chlorine? Like, is there sins? Like, the sins are in the water, and I keep baptizing them, and they just get, come out more sinful? Like, what's going on? Because every time I baptize people, it seems like they get backslidden and just, like, quit. And it got to a point where I was just like, Get baptized if you want, you know. Because <laughs> I'm just like, every time I baptize somebody, they quit the church. And then one day I was reading the Gospels. And it was actually in January when we were doing the nine chapters a day. And I, and I realized something. That in all of the Gospels, when Jesus got baptized, immediately after his baptism, something happened. In fact, in Luke chapter 3, you'll notice in verses 21 and 22, we have the baptism of Christ. And then from verse 23 to the end of the chapter, we don't have any events going on. It's just the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, I'm going to preach a sermon tonight on the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and I encourage you to come. I think you'll find it interesting. But the next event that happens chronologically is in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. And this is what all the Gospels say. Jesus is baptized, and then, chapter 4, verse 1, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, verse 2, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward and hungered. Every gospel says the same thing. Jesus gets baptized, and immediately he's confronted by the devil. Jesus gets baptized, and immediately he's tempted by the devil. Jesus is baptized, and immediately he goes head-to-head with the devil. Now, of course, Jesus won those battles, praise the Lord. 
We'll talk about that next week, the temptations of Christ in the wilderness. But I'm here to tell you something. When you finally take that step of believer's baptism to publicly identify yourself with Jesus Christ, get ready because the devil's going to come after you. He's going to put a target on you. And that, that's why I think, that, I think that literally is what was happening. I was baptizing people, and they were walking out, and the devil was like, oh, really, you want to identify yourself with Christ? And they were not winning. So I want to warn you, and I want to prepare you. Get ready for the fight. But don't let that scare you. Get in the fight. Amen. Get in the fight with the Lord Jesus Christ. Identify yourself with him, and get ready to walk with him and to beat the devil. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for uh, the Bible. Thank you for these teachings on baptism, Lord. Baptism is so important. I love the name Baptist. It identifies us with, with proper salvation and proper beliefs. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn these things, understand these things, understand the priority of baptism, and uh, help us, Lord, to be soul winners that would get that would endeavor to get our converse baptized. And if there's anybody here this morning that has not been scripturally baptized, I pray you'd help them to be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We're not-